Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 248 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Well, first things first, Angelo, happy post-Halloween, my friend. It seems like you've survived just well. A lot of candy. I'm still eating candy because we didn't have a lot of trick-or-treaters this year. So I have lots of candy left over. I feel like our neighborhood has dwindled in the last few years. We were the place to be from, I'd say, 2008 to 2000. 18 so a good 10 years and now like a lot of the kids that live here have grown up and uh it's not as popular still lots of like lots of kids way more than when i was a kid right but, but still not nearly not the amount this, of volume. yeah like yeah. the streets completely blocked like you saw in that scene in et <laughs> right <With all laughs> that is kids. your dream neighborhood well because I do wish we had California weather for Halloween night. Oh, that'd be great, yeah. Uh, my big question to you is, what kind of candy are you handing out? Uh, how stingy are you? Handing out toothbrushes or? No, no. Yeah, we, uh, we hand out, I buy the fun size candy bars at Costco. We This year we had uh, Mars bar, Snicker bar, Twix, Arrow. Uh, is Arrow Arrow's worldwide Nestle. or is it Canadian? Uh, that is a good question. I think it is. Like Coffee Crisp is not something people could buy in the U.S., no, exactly. Um, hold on a sec. Let me just. I mean, dip it into doesn't really inter- matter, but I mean, if you find it, uh, but Arrow. So it's, it's apparently uh, Commonwealth, but also South Africa and Japan. So Canada, Australia, the UK, Ireland. Okay. Coffee Crisp, I think, is pretty Canadian, though. Sure, yeah. There's a double double one. Yeah. Like then there's, uh, funny, then there's Kit Kat, M&Ms, which are, of course, worldwide, and Smarties, which are very Canadian. And not, when we say Smarties, we're not talking about like marshmallow things or anything like that. <laughs> yeah exactly okay so you're you're handing out some like decent quality stuff there i'm proud of you. yes yes of course and uh, we have guests usually on halloween so it's not a like it's a it's a like what good guests? like so you're talking like ghosts yeah or, or like no, no ghosts that's for later in the episode okay uh but no ghosts just uh family members like uh my wife's cousin comes and uh family friends and we have a nice time. The older folks stay back and give out the candies, and the younger folks bring the kids out to trick-or-treat. Oh, so there's a whole strategy here. There's a strategy. Okay, perfect. Um, in the Between uh, when we last spoke with uh, Yumi and Rob, and then now, I wanted to talk about something interesting that's not in the show notes. I want to talk about the last Beatles song. Okay. Now and then, right? Because you and I both discussed this, I think, a couple of days ago, and how this is truly an interesting um, sort of experiment, right? Because this is originally a John Lennon composition from the 1970s that sort of bolted on the different Beatles in order to create a, uh, a net new composition, right? So for the longest time, what had happened is that they couldn't divide up the uh, original tracks like separate stems. And now with the use of, of course, uh, machine learning, they were able to do that. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. I don't know. How do you feel about the song? It's fine. It's, I mean, it's not the best Beatles song ever. It's weird. I watched Rick Beato's breakdown of it and how George Harrison's part was recorded around the same time they did Free as a Bird when that was released with the anthology album. Yeah, yeah. And that was part of the same things they found in John Lennon's stuff. And now, though, they could have they recorded it as well as they could now. Obviously, machine learning with music stuff is absolutely incredible what can be done. In that video, Rick shows how things can be separated yeah. And it's pretty perfect. So there is consumer grade technology, and it's like it costs like thirty bucks a month for a lot of these subscription services. But yeah, you could basically like separate out um, songs into stems as much as you want. It's pretty impressive, even for something as simple like I remember years ago 
when my daughter wanted to sing a Taylor Swift song at her elementary school talent show. So I think she was like grade four or something. And the karaoke version didn't really sound right for her. So I just re-recorded the song. Do you have that anywhere? Yeah, it's somewhere. Could we do like a 20 second snippet here? The song I recorded for her was A Place in This World from Taylor Swift's first album. Very country-esque. I was going to say deep cut right there. Yeah, pretty deep cut, but it's a song that, like the 10-year-old she was at the time, liked, and that's what we recorded. I recorded that. It's not that great, I think, but it was perfectly fine for a elementary school talent show. People liked it. She sang well. And uh, now she doesn't really sing much anymore. She's born to dance, and that's totally fine. So speaking of things that are perfectly fine, let us talk about the most recent Apple event. Uh, you brought this up uh, once again in the last episode. So Scary Fast Angelo happened right around Halloween time on the 30th of October. Uh, talk to me about this. Well, it's really just a spec bump, but it's nice to see Apple doing these spec bumps. The event was weird in the fact that it was super short at night. And it was weird seeing, seeing Tim Cook say good evening and I think the best, the most uh, playful thing was Johnny Saruji saying, welcome to my lab, as if he was like Dr. Frankenstein, because he has a cool accent. So it sounded really good with him saying it. But I wish, like, everybody said this, but everybody wishes that they would have played into the whole spooky thing a little That's more. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Like, Tim Cook is like Ken, would be able to totally play like a Frankenstein's monster. He's got the look. Or even just thinking like a cheap cape or something, right? Just or something a cape, like yeah, he could be yeah. a vampire. Yeah, he exactly. could be or like really go meta, he could be the bad guy from Jurassic World. <laughs> That'd the, be a really interesting Dominion. uh 4D chess move right there. There's, there's no way you're gonna convince you that character was not based on Tim Cook. Well, no, Tim no. Cook. It's 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 pretty much a pastiche of of uh, Tim Apple and all of those other um tech billionaires. Yeah, like a uh, look of Tim Cook with the mentality of uh, Elon Musk. There you go. Okay, so what, what exactly was covered during the event? Apple has released their M3 chip. People were thinking, oh, well, they're just going to release the M3 regular because that's what they do. They've, done, they've always done the M1, and then later come the Pro and the Max and then the Ultra. In this case, they released the M, M3, M3 Pro, M3 Max. No Ultra just yet. And they updated, surprisingly enough, within less than a year, the MacBook Pros. And they got rid of the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar that uh, you love so much, Brian. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm fine with that. Uh, don't love it at all. No, so nobody really who has an M1 chip or M2 chip really needs to upgrade these things. I think the M chips are so good already that unless you're doing some really high-end work, you're not going to notice it. Like, if I were to update it, even with using Logic Pro and stuff, which we use mostly for podcasting, the both of us, it wouldn't really make any no. difference. I mean, like, listen, like we're running what, like uh, I run like six or seven tracks at most when I'm doing like a, a more narrative driven episode. Right. So it's not a huge, huge thing there either. Um, one of the things I did have a gripe about, though, is their insistence on talking about how this was shot on an iPhone over and over. I, I, they've mentioned that a couple of times. My why? big problem. OK, so let me explain why. Right. Because it's not just the iPhone. It's the thousands of dollars of lighting equipment and other That's things. That's totally they fine. But they would use that regardless. 
But what I'm talking about actual camera that was used was the iPhone, which is pretty impressive. Come on. But what I am talking about here is the fact that a lot of people would get the wrong idea of that's all. Oh, of course. That's that's more so what I'm going at. Is it's a little deceptive to say that like this is what can be done for it wasn't a dad holding up their iPhone and like the mom next to it holding. That's what I'm thinking, right? Yeah. Right. So that that was my big right. That was the only thing that I was like, you know what? I get it. It's. The technology is getting way better, but you also have to account for everything else. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's like they couldn't have done this previously because the iPhone 15 can now. First of all, you can plug in an external hard drive and shoot in Pro. I think it's called Pro Log or Apple Log or something. Where it's if you actually use it and you're not a professional, you're going to think it looks muted and bland. But mm-hmm. the reason it's like that is because all the highlight and all the colors are in there. You just have to bring them out professionally and use a. Uh, a, an editing suite that's professional yeah, exactly. funny enough when you see the clips of the behind the scenes and them editing this stuff they're using adobe premiere and not final cut pro which i think is kind of weird ah. but i mean you know what it shows they can uh, be compatible with all types of software right well i'm surprised they didn't use the open source alternative which is uh davinci Re- uh, resolve which i actually do enjoy using yeah, I mean, I, I'm not good at video editing, never really have been into it. I think it's kind of cool, but I've tried Final Cut Pro, and I usually end up using iMovie because iMovie. Final Cut iMovie, Pro is iMovie so is, over my head. Well, iMovie now is so much better than it was when it was first introduced right in the early 2000s, and even just even 10 years ago, it was still a, a big problematic kind of... Um, kitschy affair, I think. It was like a Windows Movie Maker kind of thing, right? It was yeah, the same level. a little better, but yeah, same thing. And yeah. the thing is, is these computers now are just so powerful. Yeah, exactly. Even if you have an M1, I think you're good for the next five or six years easily. And these M3 chips are the... And I think this is great because they're constantly updating their Macs. There's no worry about, oh, is another Mac going to come out? I'm like, just buy a Mac. When you need a Mac, buy it. They're all good. Because the next one, if you, have, if you buy the M2 and the M3 comes out tomorrow, it's not that much better. And you see this because Apple didn't really compare it to the M2. They kept comparing it to the M1 and the Intel chips. Definitely, if you need a Mac now, you don't have to worry about waiting because it's taken them forever to update it. Although, I saw the stat that the update to the iMac was 900 days. So that was like getting long in the tooth. I can't believe that computer's been out for almost two and a half years, three years. So that was a good update. The M3 chip from the M1 is a nice little update for that iMac, which is, and apparently there was some questions asked and Apple pretty much confirmed this is the iMac from now on. There's going to be no bigger size. So I think I did the right thing by not endlessly waiting for a 27 iMac that would never come. I'm also glad that they kind of got rid of the iMac Pro because... The uh, buying a Mac Studio and a Studio Display is significantly cheaper than the iMac Pro ever was, which is great for me. You just lost half the audience there. Yeah. So nobody, <laughs> most people that are listening to this show don't need that stuff. I think that's that's it, right? The TLDR right there is that you don't necessarily need to run out an upgrade right now. If everything that you use, because the majority of the people who do listen to us will do some fairly easy either video or audio editing, and they don't necessarily need the processing power Definitely of not. you know um, putting together like a, a, a 4K 60 FPS kind of uh, hour long presentation here. Yeah. You're, you're you're you don't need a Mac Pro. You're no. you're fine with also a Final Cut Pro lets you downsample, right? So that's the interesting thing is when you're yeah. editing, it lets you downsample too, so you don't actually have to like compute at such a high level all of the time, right? So it 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 can do a 720p, um, uh, and it stands in as the avatar for the 4K. 
you know what we have in common with Apple? We're going to keep what? this uh, tech segment short and uh, <laughs> go off to the paranormal. Oh, for once you're thrown. Okay, cool. I will see you on the other side. And I do mean that proverbially and literally. Great. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Welcome back to Double Density, and as always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So, Angelo, you, this whole segment has been inspired by something that's happened in your own personal life. So, this week, we're talking about Ouija boards. Now, Angelo, can you explain the sort of journey we took uh, to land on this one? Some of our listeners may be mortified by this, but my daughter and her friends were really into the idea of trying a Ouija board, and... None of the other parents wanted them to do this at their home. And I'm like, whatever, they can come here and do it. But they didn't come here and do it. They went to uh, another friend's house where the mom said, oh, no, it's fine, as long as they don't do it in the house and they follow the correct precautions to not bring any bad vibes. Because apparently I was the only parent that uh, had not had, uh, well, my wife and I, neither of us care about this stuff, right? And... uh, we had no issues with it if she wanted to do it here, but they decided to do it at some park and apparently some ch- small children watched them do it as well. And uh, yeah, so my kid did uh, some Ouija board stuff with her friends. My daughter is a full-on skeptic like me. She rolls her eyes at her friends saying weird stuff and it was a lot of fun for her and her friends, even the ones that believe in it, the ones that don't. And I asked her, well, you don't know about this, but I asked her to send me a message today or to message your friends and ask if anything weird happened to them. Okay. And um, she wrote, have you experienced any demonic possessions or other experiences since the Ouija board? And uh, the answer were no. Besides, uh, apparently after using the Ouija board, some of them felt a weird burning on their hand. Psychosomatic? Yeah, probably. Uh, another one said that the board cracked after they used it which uh, my daughter chalked up to the fact that it's a $12 piece of plywood from or cardboard from uh, Amazon. And I believe she would be correct. Because I said, wait, did it like literally crack in front of you? Because that would have been impressive. No, it cracked in the bag that they were putting it in. So, oh, I see. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, some of them felt more burning. The we- one sort of weird thing is, is that after... They were playing on the trampoline in uh, their friend's backyard, and one of them uh, sprained their ankle. So maybe the evil spirit got to her. It's also an ankle <laughs> that she keeps spraining. So right. it's a, so it's there's, a, it's there a could common be a connection there. Injury. So who knows? Stop uh, Occam's razoring your daughter's uh, fun times, Angelo. And also, one of the the girl that did bring the Ouija board uh, when she went to leave, her shoelaces were all tied in knots, and another one said she had a headache and stomachache. But uh, those are common symptoms that people talk about when using a Ouija board, and I feel like that's more related to the fact that they're nervous about using a Ouija board. Right, like the idea of potentially opening up a portal of some sort. To hell, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this isn't Sedona, we're safe here. No, exactly. Speaking of that, um, one of Steph's friends is actually going there in a week or two, and I'm very excited for her. Hell? She's, a portal? No, 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 Sedona. Oh, okay, okay. She's going full woo-woo, too. She's leaning into it for fun. Fun? Is she going to come back with crystals around her head? <laughs> Who knows? Um... But yes, okay, so uh, this path here has led us to sort of want to discuss the topic of Ouija boards, right? So I, I don't think we can discuss the history of the Ouija board without discussing the history of American spiritualism, right? And it all starts with three sisters, Margaret, 
sorry. So Leah, Margareta, and Catherine Fox, three Fox sisters, right, kind of come these prominent um, figures in the spiritualist movement in the 1800s um, as they slowly, quote unquote, start to reveal their powers as uh, mediums. Okay. Attitudes of the era were very different than they are now about the dead, right? Because a lot of people believed that you could actually communicate with the dead in, in different kinds of ways. Is that really different from now? Because I think a lot of people believe you can communicate with the dead still. Right, but I feel like it, now it's considered more kitschy versus this was considered more of a, I don't want to say like a highbrow, but more of a mainstream accepted kind of thing, right? So it's, okay. it was fueled by a combination of religious, uh, philosophical, and cultural factors, including um, wanting to connect with loved ones and also like a, just a very present fascination with the supernatural. So um, seances became a common practice back then. Uh, participants will obviously try to make contact with spirits um, through various rituals and communication methods like table turning and automatic writing. I don't know if they ever tried to automatically write. That's a weird no, thing to do. Okay. But, but I, I have seen Ouija board planchettes that have like a space to put like a lead pencil in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, depending on what kind of planchette you buy, right? Which uh, the planchette is just the the Ouija board, literally. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, the movement obviously was very interesting because it was one of the um, a lot of female figures emerged onto the scene, right? So it was very interesting from a women's rights activists kind of way too, and as well as a lot of intellectuals who tried to sort of assess and reassess why spiritualism was so important to the American public during that. It also contributed a lot of uh, different discussions about life after death and challenging a lot of the established traditional. Uh, religious beliefs, which is also kind of interesting. The spiritualist movement declined in popularity uh, into the 20th century, but its legacy continues to influence a lot of like uh, modern rituals and things like that, like, that, like you just mentioned, right? So that the idea is that it still exists. It's more of a fun thing, though, right? Yeah. Like this would have been highbrow with a formal dinner party, people dressed up, and it was more of a serious tone yeah. whereas and then you end up in the parlor where you you undertake some kind of thing yeah yeah hence the term parlor game but you know now it's like kids in a park having fun being silly and freaking each other out so let's talk about the actual ouija board itself right so um the ouija board sprung from the spiritualist movement in the 19th century right so um there are a lot of different devices that mediums and other uh, quote-unquote like truth tellers could use in order to communicate with the dead but the ouija board became one of the most prominent ones because of its ease of use, right? Because you have the, the board, the planchette, and then you have usually, you can use a, a variety of things. Like I've heard people use like wine glasses and things like that in order to sort of allow the, uh, the spirit to communicate with them. Right. So, um, it became, what, yeah. One of the articles you sent the picture is of people holding a glass instead of the planchette. So, uh, it became a very commercial product in the early 20th century. And, uh, it was marketed mostly as a harmless novelty. Um, uh, even though it remained connected to the spiritualist movement, yeah, there were. So it's stemming from the th from things called talking boards, right? It wasn't they had all kinds of different things, but the the premise was the same: letters, numbers, yes, no, goodbye, hello, and they weren't necessarily called Ouija boards until someone named Charles Kennard decided to get into the game, and uh, he first started this with someone named EC. Reich, am I pronouncing that yeah. correct? He was a furniture and coffin maker, which is interesting in its own right. Uh, then, but then Kenner moved away on his own. Uh, it's funny because it sounds like I say Kenner, but it's not made by Kenner. It's Parker Brothers. <laughs> it's Kennard. Uh, yeah, and so like he tried all kinds of things to get this out and about with people, and he finally got to someone to convince the uh, the patent office to patent it. Yeah, 
it was someone named Helen Peters. It was a sister-in-law of, a, a, of an acquaintance of his. And she said she, she named it Ouija or Ouija uh, because the board told her to name it that. And she said it came from meaning good luck. It was a strange word. But apparently she had a locket that said Ouija on it. So I'm not quite sure. And then other people have said that it's coming from the words uh, in French and German, which I'm not sure is the case, but who knows? I mean, we and jaw or yaw, right? So it's there. And then also there's some other theories that also claim that they picked the name because it sounded mystical and sort of like Egyptian um, in order that to makes make a lot it of sound sense. more forbidden and uh, and foreign too. Which, so like, there's some murkiness here about the name of it, it itself, right? So it's all lost to time. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the Ouija board is uh, in existence, um, uh, continually popular throughout the ages, even as spiritualism declined. Then the weird thing is I cannot find an exact date on this. So it's either 67, 60, uh, 66, 67, or 68. Parker Brothers buys the rights. And Angela, where did they start production? Salem, Massachusetts, of all places. I think if anywhere has spirits roaming around, it would be there. So, yeah, Parker Brothers, uh, as a move to diversify their offerings, buys up the license. Um, and they saw an opportunity to capitalize on the Ouija board's popularity. So the funny thing, though, is that it becomes a sort of shift for Parker Brothers because they choose to market it as harmless and entertaining board games. So if you head on over to the show notes, I have a link from Toy Tales, and you can see one of the ads from that era. And Angela, I want you to just sort of uh, read off some of the, the questions that these people are asking the Ouija board. Very of the times, a boy and a girl, although they look like middle-aged people, but I guess people aged faster back then or looked older, right? Like this, because... He looks like he's like a guy in his mid-30s. Yeah, absolutely. But the questions they're asking are teenage questions. So, for example, Oh, Ouija, can we take the car? Oh, you asked your parents, can we take the car? Yeah. Uh, should we go steady? One of my favorites are flying saucers for real. Because yeah. <laughs> who better to ask than one of the tenants of Paranormal for another thing? Exactly, paranormal. Yeah. Um, what college will accept me is another one. And I find the, the, the copy below that very interesting because the tagline is funny how a boy seems to make the best partner, right? So this, I guess, was in a women's magazine of some sort because it describes how um, you try to find yourself a, a male companion who would be open and interested in playing Ouija with you. It's, it's yeah, pretty so from, I can, I'm zooming in real hard and it's from Co-Ed Magazine from November 68. Or December, I apologize, yeah. But it's, it's kind of interesting that this is positioned as a, a social lubricant of sorts. Yeah, kind of creepy in its own right. Yeah. So talk to me about some of the um, more infamous aspects of why the Ouija board persists in popular culture, Angelo. Well, in, in like kind of researching, although like, I mean, people know the extent of our research is just more for a fun overview of things, but... It seems like people took on a, a weird meaning of the Ouija board after it was mentioned in The Exorcist. Because as we know, the little girl in The Exorcist did not fare so Reagan. well. Yeah, Reagan, that was her name. I don't remember Reagan these things. Yeah. There's a new Exorcist movie. and Yeah, Exorcist, the beginning. Yeah. Or no, Exorcist, sorry. The end? <laughs> Believer. Okay. And it's set in modern times with some of the old cast. One of the old cast, at least, yeah. A one only, okay. Yeah, so I mean, that'll freak people out. So if you say, look, The Exorcist, based on a true story, apparently using file footage, is uh, use the Ouija board and that's what happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about things through a Christian perspective. So you found a really interesting article from CatholicReview.org by 
Gina Christian, which is really on the nose. Is that her real name? I would assume so. Pretty. I would cool. assume that she had a calling uh, yes. in multiple ways. Um, so I'm not quite as interested about most of the content. I'm interested by a couple of things that uh, that they they talk about here. So I'm going to quote directly from the article. So the occult is also big business. From 2018 to 2023, industry revenue for psychic services rose 1.5% to $2.3 billion, according to market research firm Ibis World. That's nuts. You know also what else is big business? Religion. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the Catholic Church has some money. Well, I'm hmm, good question, right? Hmm, interesting. The Vatican. Interesting, they could yeah. sell that property for a pretty penny. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of the articles. So my favorite too is because the uh, talk. The impetus for this article is that the New York Post earlier this year. So this is an article from November first, twenty twenty three. Mentions how a New York Post article uh, mentioned a how to guide for using Ouija board, and uh, they quote Dominican Father Basil Cole as stating that this idea is dangerous, 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 which made me laugh. It's kind of interesting. Cole goes on to say a couple of things, and I, 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 which I find intriguing, right? So at first he says, there's nothing wrong with wanting to know God's will. I want to know God's will, of course, but he's not going to tell me about a lot of things. He will let me discover it. Conversation with God is one thing. Conversation with the evil one is another thing. And then uh, another father they have, uh, quoted in an article, says, when people turn to the world of the occult, they're basically saying that God is deficient. God is not enough. So I have to turn elsewhere for answers that I'm looking for. Do you feel like they worry too much that this very harmless board that's made by the same people that bring you other board games, they're reading into this way too much? So the funny thing is with a lot of these artifacts is like there's power in how you how much power you accord to it, right? So for people who think it's nothing, it's fine. But these people see these pieces of cardboard as really serious business, right? And to sort of add to what you're saying, like wouldn't it be funny if they were angry at the demon god Monopoly, right? The demon yeah. god guess who? Yeah, that's that's a dangerous game. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really good point. Like listen, like you like in this world, you're you sort of place different value and different power on different things, right? So they're very seriously centered in on this being a demonic sort of um ritual that opens up the door and away from God's shining light. Not gonna say it's not true, but Kind of problematic and sort of related. I was talking to my wife, Steph, about this. And so she grew up religious, right? So in her house, they were not allowed to play with the Ouija board. So when she went to sleepover, she kind of had to like slowly make her way to the other room in oh, order wow. to not have to deal with it. Yeah. Because of she's her a good upbringing. girl, though. Yeah. And so like we and don't now really... she's married to you, Brian. I know. I know. Which we don't have a Ouija board in the house. I have one in storage. And uh, I'm fine with that. I don't really want to play with it either way. I mean, you listen to what Art Bell tells you. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that before, like uh, uh, next week a little bit more about how you shouldn't listen to what Art Bell tells you. But uh, okay. um, talk to me a little bit about the science behind why the Ouija board works. Most that have looked into this agree that it has a lot to do with the ideomotor effect, which is your hands and fingers sort of doing what you want them to do, but without you knowing that you want them to do that, and then they do it. Does that make sense? It kind of does. And it kind of, it's in a similar vein. Like, have you ever shot a gun before? Nothing beyond a BB gun. Okay. But the, okay. So the idea is the same though. Like when you are fixating on a target, you fixate on the target, not necessarily the mechanics by which you're going to hit the target. Right. Exactly. So it, it's kind of the, uh, a similar kind of, of motor function almost that you're just locking into and that your um, conscious and unconscious brain are sort of working in tandem, but you don't even realize it. I wonder if it's sort of like playing an instrument. 
Yeah, I'd say it's a, uh, it's a very interesting analogous, I'd say, like, right? Because you kind of play by memory, but also play by feel a little bit. So it's kind of, there's kind of a, both things going on. The science is there. The science is sound. But people, even if you tell them this, right? Like, if somebody wants to believe in something, science isn't going to tell them anything. We know this from, in good ways and in bad ways, right? I, I'd say, well, people would get upset, but in most cases, like, believing in the Ouija board is sort of harmless, but it seems to do harm to people psychologically in some cases. Do you remember, uh, we talked about Vance Davis and the, the Gulf Breeze 6, right? And they were talking about how when they went AWOL, the Ouija board told them to go AWOL, right? So, uh, you know, I'm just wondering if there's an unconscious slash conscious uh, response to just not wanting to be in the armed forces anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, using the Ouija board for uh, decision-making of anything important is not a good idea. Well, I mean, just buy an 8-ball. It's much easier to use, right? That's what I use for all my important decisions. Yeah, you're, what, like, up, like, 3,000% on your, your stocks this year, right, because of it? Doing great. <laughs> so I want to talk a bit about... Uh, the commodification because uh, Steph also worked at Toys R Us in her late teens and early twenties, and she was she was talking to me about the idea about how it was, it was weird that like it was on the same shelf as the other Parker Brothers games, right? The commodification of um, um, spiritualism distilled into a single thirty to forty dollar piece of work. Did anyone ever complain to management at Toys R Us about seeing a Ouija board with children's toys? No. Okay. But I mean, like, there, it probably has happened. I'd imagine, in especially in the states somewhere, probably someone has brought up the idea that this yeah. demonic instrument sitting next to Candyland and life isn't really a good idea. I'm I'm sure this happens probably on a weekly basis. An example in a different vein: he just on my street, down the street, th- the addresses go from six six two, six six four, six six eight. Well, it's like the 13th floor, right? Like, there still yeah. is physically a 13th floor existing. You're just misnumbering it because of a superstition, not because of reality. Yeah, it is a real odd thing, though, that it's these houses were not built in the 1800s. They were no. built in the 2010s. I'm going to give you another example. In the building that I live in, there's no number 13. There's 14 and 14A. Okay. Oh. Or sorry, 12, uh, 12, 12A, and then 14. Cause we're On each 14. floor? No, just in the building I live in. It's a it's a multi unit building. It's a multi. So, but okay. So yeah. So each. So so we're ten because it's a sister building to another one which has one to nine. So we're ten. There's ten, eleven, twelve, twelve, eight, and fourteen. Which floor 15. are you on? Oh, we're. All, I'm not telling you this. Oh, okay. Just in case. I'm not. I'm right. not you you still haven't been over yet, which is another bone I have to pick with you. Because I don't okay. know what floor you're on. <laughs> are you worried that I'm yeah. on the thirteenth floor? No, it's okay. Let's talk about using the Ouija board in uh, different kinds of interesting ways, including criminal proceedings. So, Angela, I sent you an article from uh, ABC, but not the ABC that you know, of course. It's the Australian Broadcasting Company from 2018 about jurors who used a Ouija board to sort of figure out how they're going to um, uh, handle a case. So, in 94, an English insurance broker named Stephen Young was found guilty of uh, grisly murdering Harry and Nicola Fuller. Um, and it was quickly revealed after uh, that uh, Stephen Young was found guilty that a number of jurors used a Ouija board in order to figure out um, uh, the guilt of of Stephen Young's uh, aggressions. I mean, the whole jury had to decide this anyway, so whatever. They came to their conclusions that way, but it's a really odd thing to do. But as the article states, these jurors sometimes get bored and want something interesting to do. 
Yeah. And this is what they do. Yeah. Uh, and once again, I don't think it's the defining factor by which they decided that Stephen no, Young was guilty. But it's not. an interesting side note, right? Because um, uh, several of them one night uh, bored at the old ship hotel um, in Brighton. Which sounds haunted. Just, yeah. Wrote, made their own Ouija board. They essentially just wrote down all of the different letters and, and words needed and then used a wine glass in order to sort of um, yeah. dictate what was going on there. I mean, I remember doing that in high school. We we were bored one day. Like there was nothing. There was literally was a free period, and people made a Ouija board and used that. And I remember seeing the idiomotive effect in action, and we were trying to look to see if people were touching the uh, planchette made of loose leaf paper. <laughs> Like they they had folded it and stuff, and right, it looked like right. no one was touching it. It was kind of right. neat, but you know, I was like, what, fifteen years old? This was like what five years ago. So yeah, I don't remember it very well at all. So like things get put into your mind, and I think I've discussed this right. Like I I had asked what the name of my grandfather was, and the the uh, Ouija board replied Mario, and my <laughs> grandfather's name was Luigi. So, <laughs> well, there you go, right? Yeah. So it was it was a Ouija board and a spirit with some uh, humor in it as well. When I saw the headline to this article, I literally thought and pictured people in a courtroom all hovering around the Ouija board deciding if some guy was guilty or not. Luckily, I don't know if it'd be in the courtroom. It'd probably be in the deliberation room, right? Like, yeah, that's Have true. you ever seen the movie uh, 12 Angry Men, right? I'm, I'm kind of picturing that. They're, they're deadlocked, six to yeah, six. Okay. Let's use and a suddenly Ouija board. someone gets the idea of of, bust, of creating a Ouija board, right? So they ask the guard at the door for a glass or something. Um, so in the article, they mention a book entitled The Ouija Board Jurors, Mystery, Mischief, and Misery in the Jury Room by um, University of Melbourne, uh, criminal law professor Jeremy Gans. And guess what, Angela? I've ordered it, because why not? Why not? It's, it's something to read. I think this would have been a great uh, little thing to do in the show, Jury Duty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just yeah. as like a, a next level kind of... Sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. it would totally fit in. Yeah, so the commodification of, of Ouija boards is really interesting, right? Because I feel like we have entered into a an era of packaging all kinds of things. And I feel like the Ouija board is really the trailblazer when it comes to to this kind of thing. Like, how many doodads and, uh, you know, um, apps can you download in order to track ghosts, aliens, and the like? My daughter was looking to use this box type thing and it wasn't a dybbuk box i can't remember exactly what it was called but apparently it was a, a box where you kind of cover your your senses and people say things into the box and you will hear them in your head even though your senses are covered but i don't know what the box was called they had found some online and they were hundreds of dollars so they decided that it was not worth doing couldn't for, built one they could have. They could probably build one. They'll have to look online to see how to build one. Yeah, there's probably a YouTube tutorial on how to build these kinds of things, right? Yeah. So after this, after your daughter's kind of uh, um, uh, uh, journey with this, uh, have, do you feel any different about this, or is it just kind of the same? I just kind of feel the same. I think it's it's. I can understand the point of view that if someone has their own personal beliefs that feel this thing is dangerous, you know what. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm, I think you know what you're allowed to your opinion. And if you, I don't think anyone's ever become possessed because of this. But if you feel that it would harm you, like psychologically, or make you concerned with something, don't use one. Who cares? It's just a game. It's like 
my wife never likes board games. She refuses to play any <laughs> games. So like I I'm not it's not because of like religious beliefs in her case. It's because she hates she hates board games. She has a, a low tolerance for putting up with that. Very low. She can yep. and and she hates any form of cheating. Like if my she gets mad at me and my son if we look up strategy guides for video games. Really? Yeah, like not mad. So she has a but strong she's sense like, of oh, that's cheating. Then. I'm like, it's not really cheating. It's a strategy guide. It's different. But, yeah, yeah. So, is that che- are you cheating? People no. just want to connect, right? And people want to connect with the things that they love. And sometimes you don't get the chance to do that in the time frame that uh, is allotted to you in life, right? So I think that like spiritualism, I think, just points to the idea of of wanting to to reconnect and. Um, you know, talk to the people who mean a lot to you. And for the majority of us, Ouija boards are not a great way to get closure. But for some, I'd imagine um, it might be a little bit of a more harmless way than paying someone to do a bunch of cold reading, right? So I feel like this is the the easier way to to go about that versus having um, living or or surviving in a room where someone's supposedly telling you what a loved one is saying to you. Yeah, it's it, kind of it, like it, a choose your own messaging with the dead. That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> And as long as nothing uh, hitchhikes with you, like yeah, uh, exactly. like at the end of the haunted mansion of Disney World. <laughs> well, the funny thing too is that you can buy like different brushes and things like that in order to keep the the ghosties out and uh, the spirits out, right? So, kind of like there's also like a whole other um, uh, cottage industry of of things designed to rid you of these things. Well, maybe one of these days, if we decide to do a live. Double density, we can do a Ouija board double density. We should do the Olympics of all the, the kind of interesting paranormal kind of stuff. Like, we'll do a Ouija board, and then we'll we'll figure out a couple of other things that we can do with it. Maybe some uh, uh, EVPs? Yeah, we can do some EVPs. I'll, I'll take you to an abandoned building, and then I'll leave you there. Great. I mean, that would <laughs> that would creep me out, for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't. We I don't know if I've talked about this, but uh, I visited the Dory Institute in 2005, right? Where it's yeah, all we, the Duplessis twins and all that. Yeah, we and, talked about uh, that. Yeah, it's, it was creepy. It was very creepy. For sure. There's... There's this is going to sound so woo woo, but there's an energy to those places. Absolutely, even without knowing the context of them, sometimes um, you step into a room and you can kind of sense that something's either off or wrong, right? So I, while you and I remain uh, fairly skeptical, you so more so than I, I I do believe there is um, a way to to sort of read a situation or read a room and get an idea of what's going on. Yeah, like I, despite being so skeptical, I cannot watch any of those creepy youtube videos like past nine o'clock when i'm alone in the living room watch it like i can't like well because it tickles that weird primal part of your brain yeah like the fear center like i i remember starting one about the the outlaw pass and like what am i doing to myself then why watch this one that's one of the creepiest things yeah for me like watching anything because those pictures are haunting yeah Or, or anything with creepy photos uh, like that, and, and of course, remember? like Nick Crowley's voice does not help. Oh, yeah. I was going to say Nick Crowley and and sort of like that whole um, uh, genre of YouTubers. But do you remember when we talked to Nexpo? Uh, <laughs> we talked about that weird um, fly woman, the missing girl. Do you remember that that weird no. poster from Chicago? Hold on, I don't even want to see it though, Brian. So don't send me any oh, it's pictures. Screw of it. you up, yeah, yeah. I don't want to see it. But yeah, there's those all. I do highly recommend those channels. Though. They're a lot of fun. Even watching that uh, video you sent of the My House thing for yes. Doom, that creeped me out. And it yeah. was funny. One of the YouTube people I follow, I think I sent you the link, but he covered it literally like two days after we talked about it. So here, let me just show you this picture, Angelo. I'm going to text it to you. Oh, and great. it's the, the we covered this two years ago. 
when we had Johnny Stitches on, but this is, uh, we talked about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was really creepy. Yeah. And, and it's just a picture. Yeah, exactly. So that's just, uh, um, really interesting. Anyways, I'll, we'll drop, I'll drop a video of it, but basically, like, it was a bumper at the end of the broadcast tape for one of the Chicago WA, WMAQ in the late 80s, uh, had played this. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. I'm not stuff like that's stuff. always yeah. Stuff like that is always creepy. It's, an, it's unnerving. Nerving. Yeah, I've been looking a lot into liminal spaces now. Oh yeah, and we should talk that, about that soon. That stuff is and it, because it it came up because of that my house video, right? Oh, he talks I see. About right, it, right. And I've been taking pictures of liminal spaces, like and I, when I'm walking outside and I like wow, there's like literally nobody around me. I'll take yeah. a picture. Yeah. Especially if you're going to turn a corner or something and there's like... Nothing. Yeah, it's super creepy. Yeah, I agree. So. Modern mysteries, right? Uh, combined with 18th century spiritualism lead us yeah. to... Uh, to, I, to have, here. I have a... I don't have many. I didn't take many pictures, but I have borderline like liminal space pictures at Disney World because okay. we were there at right. two o'clock in the morning. Right. And it was one of those um, back in the day when people that just... You had regular uh, hotel rooms at Disney could stay late. They used, the park used to stay open till one, and by the time we were out, it was like almost two a.m. That that one time we went, and I remember taking a picture. I think near the parts of the Caribbean, and there's nobody around. It was so weird. Uh, do you have access to that picture? Uh, yeah, I guess somewhere. I'll, Can we uh, throw after, it up? On after the, uh... I, if I find it after the show, I'll. I'll uh, yeah, I'll, send it to me. After, after we're it. done recording, I'll, I'll check it out and send it to you. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, speaking of ending recording, Angela, I think this is a really good spot to end episode 248 of the Debolt Density Podcast. Can you tell people where to find us? They can easily go to uh, doubledensity.net. And if you want to talk to us, there's a form you could yeah. fill out. I know that Kevin sent over a couple of things. We'll be touching that probably next week, if not the week after, because there's a couple of things he mentioned that I want to sort of um, spend more time with. Um, okay. So we'll be doing that after. It sounds good to me. And uh, yeah. Uh, you can also find us over on Twitter, still Twitter. I'm not calling it X, double underscore density, as well as Instagram, double density podcast. And also, you can also email us at double density podcast at gmail.com. Email us your, your love, your hate, your views on Ouija boards, your views on spiritualism, your views on demonic candy land demons. I can't wait to hear them. Angela will read them after nine o'clock. He promises. I'm not making any promises, actually. <laughs> See you all next episode as Angela and I stare directly into the weirdest liminal spaces that we can find, including very long hallways, um, creepy staircases, and other kinds of doors opening that we don't want to deal with. Angela, I will see you there, my friend. I'm going to stare at them through the eye of a planchette.